Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week, we'll be discussing Talk to Me, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Gran Turismo, and Meg 2 The Trench. I'm your host, Bill George. With me this week, Super Producer Craig Stanton. Hey, Bill. Craig, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, uh, sad, obviously, AJ could not join us this week. Uh, he's out of town. Living it up on Cape oh. Cod, as I understand. On the Cape. For those that are not here, it's on the Cape, not in the Cape. It's on the Cape. Who would ever say in the Cape? I, hey, I've heard of non, non-Massachusettsians uh, not, not realize that you're supposed to say on the Cape. I thought the local, the local yokel way to say it was down the Cape. I mean, I say that on I say that cape. as well. That's true. That's true. Well, we hope he's having a great time. We do. We do. In the meantime, uh, you know, the people demand that the show goes on. And so here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, as far as follow-up goes, Craig, have you watched anything that we've talked about in the past or anything new this week? Nothing new that since we've talked last. I do have something, but I'm going to save it for Netflix and Bill. Okay. All right. Fair. You know, I still have not seen Barbie, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I'm telling you. I do plan on it. I do plan on it. I do plan on it. You'll notice that I have a much higher hit rate on seeing movies when you say, do you want to see this? I'm buying <laughs> tickets now. And then all I have to do is say, yes. Good point. When it is incumbent on me and only me to pick a time and buy the tickets and do the whole thing, it's like uh, a hit for a pretty low percentage in that Barbie situation. just crossed over $1 billion in worldwide gross, speaking of. you love to see it. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. Did it? So it is it is in the lead revenue-wise- from Oppenheimer, yes? Yeah. Like, I think... Like blowing it out of the water. Like, almost double, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, which is partially the PG-13 rating, and I think the repeat viewings, and just the broader appeal. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but Oppenheimer's still doing very, very well, especially for an R-rated three-hour drama biopic. Right, right. Not exactly a popcorn flick. Uh, still doing extremely well. But it, it doesn't have the legs that Barbie does. Whoa, let's not objectify... Hey, it's a hey, box office terminology, <laughs> folks. Legs. How many week over week does it keep going? Uh, perfect. Great. Good for them. Good oh, for Lord. everybody involved. I hope I'll make make my way there soon. Yeah. So you got to go is what, is what boils down to. Looks like we got an audio book. So not a book from a tree. No. I. So this is my follow-up. I have, since our last episode, listened to an audio book called The Method, How the 20th Century Learned to Act. Uh, and it's the history of the Stanislavski acting method, which has been called the Stanislavski system, method, the method. It's a bunch of different names, but it's basically just a system for actors to follow in order to deliver their best possible performance. Uh, and it started in Russia, turn of century Russia in the 1920s, and then eventually it came to the U.S., and the U.S. really adopted it. It kind of became more of an American tradition than anything. Really fascinating. Takes you through like early method actors, uh, like Marlon Brando and then Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. And so I went back and rewatched some movies that they kept talking about in the book, like Streetcar Named Desire and Raging Bull. Uh, really fascinating. Is that the method? Is the, is the method is getting into the character as much as possible? And like, so that's is that the method as could you sum up the method for me, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, see, that's what's interesting is the method evolved over time with Stanislavski and then two different people, Adler and Strasberg were like two main acting teachers that were with him at different times and took away different versions of it. And so there's like competing versions of the method. Interesting. Different strands. But at the end of the day, the point of it was to try to make the characters, you know, internalize the character and make it feel real and authentic and naturalistic. That was like the main thing of the method. Because if you look at a movie like, the, an example they brought up, which I watched on YouTube, which was like a perfect example, was the movie Four Daughters from like the 1940s. And there's one guy in it, uh, John Garfield, who was a method actor. And everybody else is still in like the performative 50s. Like, how you doing, Jim? How's the wife? Like, it just like feels like the 50s. And, this is, and then there's this... Like almost like adapted from stage acting, like right. everything played really over the top. But then you have John Garfield's character come in, method acting, being naturalistic, and you're watching it and you're just like, what? Like it's so different when you compare them. Like, yeah. As time went on, everybody became method. But when you watch like certain clips from older movies where you start to see it show up, or even Brando in Streetcar Named Desire, is, you can tell he's giving a different type of performance than everybody else around him. 
Mm-hmm. And then it just, in the 70s and 80s, it became the way to act. Huh. So it's really interesting. But the, the real thing I want to note on here is in popular culture, because of certain things that actors did, like De Niro in Raging Bull, as you know, he demanded people refer to him as Jake or Champ when he was on set and he stayed in character and then he gained a bunch of weight for the later part of the movie. De Niro was trained in the method. He chose to do that stuff and the media picked up on that and conflated that with being the method. So now when you think about Jared Leto or Daniel Day-Lewis, these people who like live in character, that is not technically method, but in popular culture, that's what we now associate with method just because of misunderstanding. In fact, there are method teachers who say you should take 60 seconds to like get yourself into character and ready. But if you stay in your character, it's psychologically damaging for you long term and you like shouldn't do that. The method is against that. But certain people do it. And that now in pop culture is the method, which it's not. So got it. So the so the deep, the deep method actor, you know, going home and talking to your spouse as if you are (laughs) You know, whatever. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Uh, that is not what we're talking about. That's here. not the method. That's not what Stanislavski taught. But that's just what our popular understanding of it is. And some people do it. Daniel Day Lewis has specifically said, "I am not a method actor. I've never been trained in that. Like this is just what I do. Like that's his thing." And Jared Leto is just looking for excuses to be an asshole. Anyway, the point is, it's a fascinating book. Uh, it did take a while to get into it because it's like, you know, typical audiobook, 20, 30 hours. And like the first 10 plus are all fucking the Moscow art theater and like just 1920s Russia. It's a Stanislavski. It took a while. But then eventually when all of a sudden they're like, oh, he taught Strasbourg and Strasbourg taught Al Pacino. I was like, wait, what? Like, like once you start making the connections, you're like, oh, shit, that's wild. But it took a little bit to get into. But anyway, highly recommended for anyone interested in the history of acting. Got it. Uh, moving right along to our in memoriam uh, segment. Yeah, I have just googled the name of this uh, gentleman, and I I have no idea who this person is. All due respect, so I'll I'll let you take it from okay. here. Okay, I'll take it then. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, uh, wanted to shout out uh, William Friedkin passed away. Uh, Oscar winning director. He made The Exorcist and The French Connection. Those were his two biggest hits, uh, as well as a few others. Uh, I will certainly remember him for The Exorcist, which I still find to be the scariest movie I've ever seen. Uh, I usually watch it every other Halloween-ish. Like, I'll, I'll bust it out once in a while, but it is uh, incredible. And The French Connection is a movie that I watched as a kid, I think with my dad, you know, with Gene Hackman as Popeye Doyle, like the, the car chase under the elevated train. Like, there's just such iconic sequences uh, from that movie and both movies uh, just incredible. So, R.I.P. William Freakin, uh, fantastic director. God bless. Do you want to handle the news, Craig? I might as well. If you can step uh, into those shoes. I'm in the big chair, so let's do it. Um, all right, Bill. First up in the news, we got some strike talk. Uh, the WGA, Writers Guild of America, and the AMPTP, the uh, Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, have agreed to resume bargaining on Friday the day that this is released, uh, Friday, August 11th, for a deal that could end the Guild's ongoing strike. The two sides met last, uh, the, the two sides last met on August 4th, but were unable to reach an agreement to resume bargaining. Meanwhile, SAG-AFTRA remains on strike, and Fox announced that the Emmys have been delayed until January because of the work stoppages. Bill, is there any end in sight? Um... Hard to say. I don't know that it would be done now. I mean, the the last talk they had on the fourth wasn't even a bargaining talk. It was just a like, can we resume talks? And that didn't. And that yeah, a talk to resume talks. That's all, that's tough. And that didn't work out. So they finally got the talks on uh, Friday tomorrow, as of this recording, and presumably the AMPT the AMPTP is supposed to sort of counter or like give their answers to the writer's demands and see if they're close enough that something anything happens. Um, I feel like this is now we've crossed over 100 days of the writer's guild strike. I feel like SAG probably has a better chance of getting something before the writers. I still feel like the way the producers continue to treat writers mm. uh, and speak about 
that situation. I feel like they have more respect for the actors is what it boils down to. And I think they need the actors more, to be honest, as far as the work stoppages, especially. So I feel like the actors have a better chance of getting anything sooner, but we'll have to see how it comes together tomorrow. And if they are even close with the writers, uh, or if we're going to go another hundred days in the meantime, I know a lot of celebrities, Seth MacFarlane, I think included as well as some others have started to donate, I think a million dollars each or more and more money towards the fund that exists for people in Hollywood that are out of work due to the strike. Uh, so I know that they're, they're still getting injections of, of capital to kind of keep the writers, uh, you know, being able to, to live day to day. Thank goodness. But yeah, I don't know. I don't see anything. I think the Emmys getting postponed is, is a big one. I wonder how many other award shows are going to have to get kicked, uh, or other events, especially because I feel like the Emmys and the Oscars get later and later every year to begin with, let alone getting a delay. So that could be uh, an interesting development as well. But I don't know. I don't know if we'll see an end anytime soon, to be honest. Yeah, it feels like we are in the just in the thick of it right now, like not particularly close to the beginning and it does not feel like we are particularly close to the end either. I also feel like uh, Barbenheimer almost like hurts the cause a little bit because the producers are just sitting back and just counting money during this whole thing. Yeah, every headline is just <laughs> yeah. like, Barbie breaks new box office record. Da, da, da. Yeah, exactly. Just crushing it. So if it was dead out there, then they'd be scrambling. Yeah. But they're not right now. So that's kind of unfortunate timing. Doesn't look good. Yep. Does not look good. All right, Craig. Uh, somewhat local news. Uh, during Pink's summer carnival tour show at Boston's Fenway Park, a pregnant concert goer went into labor at the show and oh. had to walk to bring the women's hospital a mile away because of the traffic around the stadium. I skimmed this question. I did not see the walking part. Yeah. Uh, there she did give birth to a healthy baby boy with no complications. Thank goodness. Uh, Craig, you are a professional musician, local music expert. Uh, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened at one of your shows? Any births, any deaths? Yeah, so no births, no deaths. Uh, there's so nothing this crazy. I mean, I, I, I have not been a part of anything like this. There's been a handful of fights, which is never fun. Okay. Uh, most The one that jumps to mind most recently, I was working the merch table at uh, Dropkick Murphy's St. Patrick's Day show last year, two years ago. Uh, and someone in the like the front row like must have said something bad or offensive both to the singer and the guy just started fucking wailing on him and it was a big melee like right like the singer came off the stage yeah oh yeah Ken Casey <laughs> into the playing crowd? singer of the Dropkick Murphys just like fucking and and yeah that, it happens at, at shows sometimes so that was like oh my god <laughs> like uh like uh, Malice in the Palace style like into the stands basically basically yeah unreal. Yeah. Um, so that was a recent one, but yeah, no, definitely nothing like this. I can't believe this poor woman walked. There had to be like EMTs, like all over the place. Like I say the article, call for help, the lady. article said that, that she went to labor. She called her doctor and the doctor said, you got to get to a hospital. And then they looked around and the I mean, she's very close to many hospitals. Yeah. America's they, most beloved ballpark is very, uh, optimally situated in Boston near all the hospitals. So true. No, she just hooked it. Got there. I, yeah. I, there was a, I was at another show last week, Jason Isbell, an artist who I like quite a bit playing at Roadrunner in Boston. And there was like some kind of medical emergency with this girl who was probably just drunk. I'm diabetic. So whenever someone is like weird and like passing out and falling down, I, I just assume that they're diabetic also. <laughs> so I kind of was like hovering around the outskirts. It was near me anyways, but I was yeah. like hovering around the outskirts of that, like trying to like listen to hear if anybody likes, or I was looking for like medical ID bands and stuff. Yep. Cuz I've got I've got the sugar packets baby. I got I'm locked and loaded. <laughs> ready to go. With these sugar hip. cubes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that was that was another one, but I'm sure she was just shit-faced. But anyways, hey, congrats to this uh this this woman and her baby boy. Yes. I wonder what uh, if maybe there's a fun naming story that will happen. Maybe he'll be named Fenway. No, what happened was there was there was more to the story. They she named the boy after someone in Pink's family or a name similar to Pink's kids' names or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Boo. Should have named him David Ortiz. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been good. All right. Last news thing. In light of the success of Barbenheimer, uh, Lionsgate moved the release of Saw 10 to September 29th, up almost a full month from its original October 27th release, so it can go up against Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, on opening weekend. 
The official Lionsgate account then tweeted, reporting for Saw Patrol, sir. And began the hashtag, hashtag Saw Patrol, Bill, your take. This is awful. This is just, this is criminal, frankly. Um, If Saw and Paw Patrol happen to be scheduled together and people notice that because of Barbenheimer... And like, that'd be one thing. But the fact that Lionsgate has a movie, a horror movie coming out right before Halloween and decides, never mind. I know. Like, what are you doing? We're moving it to September so that we can try this hashtag to, to, to pick up on the Barbenheimer crowd is so brutal. It's just, and it also doesn't make any sense. Like, Oppenheimer and Barbie, yes, they are very different, obviously. But there is a bigger difference between a like G-rated animated film and Saw Ten. Like that, there is no like crossover there. Yeah, that's a a bridge too far. You might even say exactly. Barbie and and Oppenheimer have both very well-known, amazing directors, and you can see a film fan like myself. I would go see an old movie, and I would see a Greta Gerwig movie, regardless of content. Yeah, but Paw Patrol versus Saw, it just it's. It's so manufactured and laughable that Lionsgate themselves would do this. And when in the last 15 years or so of of the social media era, when has there ever been a successful top-down corporate hashtag-based, let's get everybody (laughs) talking about this thing campaign? Like, when has that ever been a thing that's worked? Ever. Nope. Yep. So, like, you would think this is, like, 2010. They're like, hashtags? What's a hashtag? Yeah. Like, unbelievable. It's so embarrassing. And and Lionsgate, generally a distributor, I I respect quite a bit. Uh, But, yeah, this is is embarrassing. It's it's a bad look. It's a bad look. Moving away from Halloween, too, is just like, what are you doing? I know. It doesn't make any sense. All right, Bill. Well, let's get on to the should I go see it portion of the program. Uh, Kind of a big, kind of a big app. We got... Four movies this week. Yep. Yep. Um, first one is Talk to Me. Description as follows When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. Yes. This is a horror movie that comes out of Australia. I, um, it's kind of an indie. It's made by, uh, indie. It was made by two guys who were known for like YouTube shorts and things like that, but they ended up making this movie and a 24 picked it up and is distributing it. And when I say it's a horror movie, I was like watching through my fingers at times. Like it is so intense. Oh my gosh. Um, but like you said, it's about a ceramic hand that when you hold it and say, talk to me, a spirit will show up, but only to the person who's holding the hand. Uh, and everybody, and so it becomes like a, a party thing because like there's one person holding the hand and everybody else is watching them freak out because they're, they're seeing a uh-huh. spirit. Yeah. This is the part of the trailer that I remember seeing and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you say, talk to me and the spirit shows up, but then you can also say, I let you in. And then the spirit can inhabit your body. Ooh. And that's when it gets fucking weird. Uh, but allegedly for the person who's being inhabited, it feels very good and freeing. And that's why in the description you read, they like want to keep doing it and it goes too far. Uh-huh. Um, so that was, so that's the setup. And then some teens get a hold of this thing and they go too far with it and shit gets wild. And I don't really want to spoil much because the beauty of this movie for me was that every time I thought it was going to zig, it zagged. Like it was, I've seen a lot of movies and I've seen a lot of horror movies but this was to me completely unpredictable. Like they kept taking different turns. I kept thinking like, Oh, so this is how it's going to like play out or, Oh, it's going towards this type of ending, but it just kept, kept me on my toes. Uh, so that type of writing is really good and hard to do for this genre. Uh, and I loved it. I love that it, the ending felt unpredictable and inevitable at the same time. Like once it happens, like that's the perfect type of writing for this. Um, so I was very, very impressed. The performances were great. It's gory. It's intense. It's inventive. It's a tight 90 minutes. Like it's a, it's a winner. It's a winner for sure. And did we mention that it's an A24 thing? Yes. Yep. So that gives it sort of like the early 
uh, early signs that it, it's going to be worth your while. For sure. And they already, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this, but to speak to its uh, impact so far, uh, they already have greenlit a sequel. So, hmm. and it's called Talk to Me, numeral two. Wow. Which, whatever. That one was right there. It was just right it, there for they just, Yeah, they had it. Uh, which, I don't know how I feel about a sequel, but... Again, uh, this movie, I we'll think... We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, exactly. We'll see that uh, as it happens. But this was just a really, really good horror movie, uh, if you're into that. If you liked some of the A24 stuff, like Hereditary, Midsummer, all those, um, or even The Lodge, which is not A24, but in that mold, then this is right in that wheelhouse. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, just like uh, all those other horror movies you just mentioned that you told me I should totally watch that I absolutely did not because I fucking hate scary <laughs> movies and I will not be getting anywhere near this film. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. You're missing out. It's uh, it's an intense experience, uh, but I enjoyed it. Is it like the type of horror that is like jumpy or is it the type of horror that is like stick with you, like think about it all night type of thing? More the latter. It's more atmospheric and perfect, gory perfect there's like jump scares i guess but it's not built around jump scares it's not like a conjuring movie where like like those are like pg-13 movies where you're just like waiting for the next jump and they're just like two slow setups with lighting and whatever and then all of a sudden something jumps out or it's a cat scare or whatever right this is not that this has a couple of jumps because it just does naturally but it's not built around that it's much more built around the story and some of like the gory intense sequences so, like, it's going to fuck with you is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. It'll mess with your mind for sure. So you can't, like, okay. Yeah, there's no chance I'm going to see this movie ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't <laughs> think it, I don't think it's for you. <laughs> we were talking the other day with my in-laws about, like, the movies that scared us when we were kids. And all of mine are objectively not scary movies. I'm just that much of a baby that from, like, an early age. Like, I don't know if you remember. Quick aside about how much of a little freaking child I am. Uh -huh. But... Uh, remember Kevin Costner's Robin Hood? Yeah. Just do you remember the movie generally? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. The opening scene of that, they're where they're like in a prison, and first of all, they're hanging upside down by like their feet, uh, which is kind of horrific in the first place. And then what they're doing in the prison is they're cutting off the, the hands of the people in the prison. And then like, sure enough, here comes Costner and he like gets out of it. And I think the guy who's like doing the chopping ends up like chopping off his own hand. And then he like escapes from the prison. That's just like literally the opening credit scene of this movie. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. out. <laughs> and still haven't seen it. Not interested in seeing it. There's a whole big long list of not scary movies that I like literally left the theater for when I was a kid. Oh my God. I fucking hate scary movies. But I don't understand. Uh, was that because of the, 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 graphic the like the concept of a oh, hand getting cut off or was oh, it just all of the above oh, okay. bill all right hanging upside down no thank you Jeez, that anyway it's gonna rule out a lot of movies <laughs> okay i have two questions for you yep one uh you said these dudes who directed it were like youtube people yes fascinating yeah they did special effects videos i forget what their what the name of their channel was uh, I'm sure did they write up. this thing uh, they just they co-directed it. I think they helped come up with the story too, if I remember oh. correctly. Okay, good, good for them. And then number two is, is A twenty four becoming like a horror movie shop? Like I feel like there's been more of these. Like this is like a little subgenre of theirs that they're kind of hammering. Is am I imagining that, or um, do we see them sort of finding like a a a, a thing that is working for them? Oh, that's 100% their thing, for sure. Um, but I feel like the first couple A24s that were big weren't horror-y. Moonlight and, like, uh, the Florida Project or, like, whatever. Yeah, true. And Everything stuff. Everywhere All at Once is also not that. But, so, I mean, they're known for just... They are distributors. They also do production. But they're distributors that just have a particular type. And it's, I think, Elevated Horror is one is like their biggest segment. And then they have indie drama as the other basically. Um, but elevated horror for sure, I think is, is where they started go get on a roll. Um, and yeah, the directors were the Raka Raka guys. If you've ever seen the Raka Raka YouTube channel. I have not. Do they do scary stuff? No, they usually do like action and special effects, which is what made this like a weird switch. Um, because I saw an interview with them on the Corridor Cruise um, 
visual effects artist react type show and they interviewed yeah. them and they were on the show and so that's how i kind of learned a little bit more about their background but yeah it's fascinating fantastic all right on to the next movie all right we've got teenage mutant ninja turtles this film according to imdb.com follows the turtle brothers as they work to earn the love of new york city while facing down an army of mutants bill should i go see it tone shift engage (laughs) yes yes you should go see it i was bought into this movie almost immediately because of the art style like that's what got me because it is certainly it's a 3d animated you know, computer animated movie, but they have a hand-drawn style laid over it with like pencil marks and like, it's just, it's very inventive. It's like kind of like Spider-Verse in a way, except it's more consistent. Like it's the entire movie. Spider-Verse kind of switches to like a ton of different visual styles throughout the movie. This is a consistent visual style and it was really cool. Like I, it totally had me like hooked. And so that was like the first thing. And then the fact that it knows the absurdity of the, you know, the premise and it leans into it and has fun with it. Like it's not particularly innovative in the sense that it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We've seen it a zillion times, but it executes it just extremely well. Um, And I think the main differentiator that is that attributes to that is the teenagers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are actually played by teenagers. Uh, So they talk like teenagers. They had them all in the sound booth together, and they were able to improv together. So a lot of the script is improvised. Oh, very fun. So it's just, it's got a different tenor uh, than a lot of other TMNT type stuff. And it's just funny. It's just a funny movie. There's some good laughs in there. Jackie Chan was an inspired choice uh, to voice Splinter. And that brought the most laughs for me. Uh, and it was great. It was just really good. There's some cool fight sequences, a lot of great voice talent. Um, and the audience that I was, uh, I saw an early access screening. So it was a full house and the audience loved it. It played so well. Um, it was great. It was great. The old, a lot of kids, what's the age situation? We got a lot of, not a lot of like nostalgia dudes in their thirties with beards like me or like, what are we talking about here? That's the thing. It runs the gamut. Them, their kids didn't matter. Like it was, it was a wide range. Yeah. Um, but there's like a mid-credit sequence that teases a sequel that everybody went nuts for. Uh, it was great. It was just a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, the only, you know, the only thought I had or critique I may have had, it may have worked a little bit better as like a three-episode Netflix series, just because the shtick of the turtles can get a little tiresome after a little bit. Like I hung in there, but like sometimes that teenage bantering, it only takes you so far <laughs> when you're watching a 90 plus minute movie. So wait, you want to, ex- you want to extend the total runtime, but break it up across. Yeah, well, three this is like essentially, I think it's a 90 minute movie if I remember correctly or thereabouts. Okay. So you want three half hours? Yeah. Like I feel like just getting it in chunks may have been a little more digestible. Sure. For the, for the stick that they do. But we'll have again, to get we'll have to get the opinion of someone that doesn't famously hate children. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> That's my take. But I still, like I said, I still watched the whole thing, enjoyed the whole thing. Like really, I got a kick out of it. So I, it was it was a lot better than I expected. I will also say that my expectations were like so so on it, and it ended up really surprising me. I'll tell you what, I love the recent trend and Spider-Verse is, I think, probably like the head of the top of the marquee of this, of like, we're at a point now in 2023 where animation is so, so, so good and so like realistic if you want it to be that. But I really am digging this, uh, like this trend recently, not really trend, but just kind of like this thing that's been happening recently of like going the other direction and roughing up stuff and making it look animated and making it look drawn and kind of interesting. I think that's really great. And I think it will age a lot better. I mean, it might, we might look back on it as a sort of trendy thing. Oh yeah. There was that period of time where everybody made their animated movies look like this. But I think like outside of that potential bit of dating, um, the actual, just aesthetics of it, I think are going to age fantastically. And I think it's pretty cool in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's going to look better than like even 
if you look at Toy Story One versus Toy Story Four, like it's so yeah, night and day dramatic that it, it does have an impact on viewing. So, but yeah, I agree. Something this stylized uh, should stay pretty fresh. Yeah, cool. All right, we love it. You love to see that. Uh, on to number three. Yep. Okay, our third movie today is Gran Turismo. Interesting description here. Based on the unbelievable, inspiring, true story of a team of underdogs, a struggling working-class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsports executive who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. That's debatable. Bill, should I go see it? <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. Uh, the yeses are just rolling in. Oh, my God. I was this, this was like nine out of nine. I was on a streak of yeses at this point when I was uh, doing these reviews. But there's three things that make this movie work uh, as well as it does. The true story nature of it, David Arbor, and the direction. Like Those are like the things that really made this movie sing for me. Uh, starting with the true story. Well, wait a minute. So okay. Turismo- but let's back up. So okay. for the audience and also sort of for me, Gran Turismo was a video game that people enjoyed, correct? Yes. A... PlayStation racing simulator uh, that started in, I don't know, early 2000s uh, since I was a kid. And they've- so completely separate from the like Last of Us style story driven adventure thing. It's literally like fucking Mario Kart we're talking about. Well, basically, <laughs> it's a simulator, they'll tell you, versus being like an arcade racing game. So it's a racing game, but you're fucking customizing the car and picking the tunings and like, and when you play it, it and the reason I don't play Gran Turismo. <laughs> I never liked it was because you could like turn the stick just like a hair and your car would like fucking spin out. Like it's super realistic. You got to change gears, all that shit. Sounds like old Craigie's getting motion sick. That's what that sounds like to me. Yeah. So yeah, it's a simulator. (laughs) Okay. So racing video game. Tell me how this becomes a movie. So that's what makes it interesting is it is a true story where in, I want to say it was 2000, I don't know, mid 2000s or 2010s, Nissan a guy at Nissan, Playboy, played by Orlando Bloom, partners with... Oh, welcome back to the silver screen, Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Bloom shows up. He works for Nissan Marketing. I didn't recognize him from uh, the poster on my sister's bedroom wall <laughs> when I was in middle school. <laughs> so he works at Nissan uh, for marketing, and he wants to partner with Gran Turismo, try to find the best simulated simulator players, best Gran Turismo players uh, in the world, and then bring them to a Nissan Academy and see if they can actually drive the cars for real. And if anybody graduates from that and does well enough, they would hire them as a driver for Nissan. And it would be like this big partnership with Sony, partnership with PlayStation. And Nissan, I assume, has a team. And they have a racing team. Car racing stuff. They have a racing team and their cars are licensed within Gran Turismo because Gran Turismo, again, being a simulator, they got licenses. They have all real cars in the game and all that stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, got it. So they did this. And this kid in, in England uh, wins it, and he had dreamed of becoming a, a racer because he was so good at Turismo and loved Turismo, and like he wanted to grow up and race cars, and this was like an actual opportunity to do that. It's a very wish-fulfillment movie uh, because it was a wish-fulfillment in real life. This actually happened. Uh, so he goes to the academy. He made it through the academy and got a job with Nissan and then went on to have a, a significant racing career. Uh, so it's, this, it's his story. Uh, but it's, what do we call that type of racing? It's not Formula One. It's not NASCAR. What do you call that? I don't know the title, to be honest with you. There. Fast car racing. Okay, carry on. Close enough. Uh, so even though this is a movie based on a video game, quote unquote, it is a sports movie. Like, unabashedly, it is a sports movie. GT racing. GT, there you go. Uh, Perhaps that's where the term Gran Turismo comes from. Or maybe one is the other. Anyway, sorry to interrupt for the second time. That's okay. Back to you. But no, this is a like capital M sports movie, unabashedly, in terms of it's, you know, there's a love interest. There's training montages. There's a dramatic setback. There's rivals on the track. Like, all of it. And it does it so well that... The audience, again, I saw an early showing, uh, and the audience was cheering and clapping at times. Like, that's how... How fast did you fucking peel out of the parking lot in your Tesla? (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) Just just gunning it. Uh, So the movie just works really well, because the story 
and it's a you're, you know your classic true story where at the end they show side by sides of the actor and the real person and black and white photos and like text on the screen explaining what happened like all that stuff love it now did i fact check it when i got home yes do they play a little fast and loose with the true story sure but still turns out that guy is not an elf <laughs> but still it works uh <laughs> go back to the bloom jokes uh Married to Katy Perry, it appears. Orlando Bloom, I think I heard that, yeah. Good for her, too. Good for everybody. So the true story's great. David Arbor is amazing. He brings, like, a heart to it and grounds it. Because the lead actor, honestly, his own, he's, he's fine. But the movie doesn't work without David Arbor. Like, he is Hopper phenomenal. from Stranger Things, for people that don't know who that is. Yes. He makes the movie. Um, and he plays who now? He plays, like, the... So when the Nissan marketing guy brings this to the Nissan execs as well as the Sony people, their their major concern is you're going to take a kid, quote unquote, who races in video games, you're going to put him in a an actual five hundred thousand dollar car yeah, yeah, yeah. and going two hundred miles an hour. They're going to get themselves killed, and we're all going to be liable. So the only way they were going to let him do it is if he could get a proper coach, manager. I don't know what the actual term is for racing, but. Uh, you know, pit crew boss, whatever the hell. Yeah, you yeah, call yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Guy in we'll charge. say coach. Let's say coach. We'll go with coach. So he has to recruit David Arbor, who's like a a former racer with a haunted past. God, I love it. <laughs> he has got to get him it. to train these kids, and he's super resistant to it because he doesn't think this is a good idea, and he thinks the sim racers are not going to be able to do it. So he has like a certain vitriol for the kids during the training. Uh, and then, of course, but he builds a relationship with our hero. The whole it's the whole thing. Yeah. So anyway, he's great. He grounds it. The last thing that I'll, I'll say that makes the movie is the direction. So Neil Blomkamp directs it. He really was is known for District 9, if you've seen that movie. He also did Elysium uh, with Matt Damon. That movie also scared the shit out of me. And District it wasn't 9? really a scary movie. Yeah. yeah. District 9, Elysium, Chappie, which was terrible, but like... Uh, he was going to make an alien movie. So like that was in development hell for a long time and it fell apart. So you, Neil Blomkamp seems like he hasn't worked in a while. And you would think he could just phone this in as like, I'll take this fucking PlayStation movie and see what happens. But man, he directs the shit out of this movie and he does it so well. It's like stylized. It's awesome. And he brings in video game elements into the movie in a way that is fan service, certainly, but also makes the movie better and easier to watch than most sports movies. So, you know, normally you're watching a racing movie and it's quick cuts of cars doing cool car things. And you have to either have the, the crew chief, that's the word I was looking for, crew chief on the headset, either like saying stuff that they probably wouldn't say in real life, but they have to say for the benefit of the audience. Or you have a fake voiceover track of the TV announcers saying like, he moves in a third. I can't believe he's making this. T-. Like whatever, you know what I mean? In yeah, this movie, yeah. you basically have... The ESP, ESPN 8, the Ocho announcers uh, just narrating throughout. In this movie, you basically don't have any of that. And instead, you just have the sound of the fucking cars and the music. And he will put, like, just like in a video game, he'll put, like, a fucking fourth place marker over the car. Oh, cool. And then as he passes somebody, cha-ching, it changes to third. And, like, st- cool stuff like that. The drive lines, which if you've ever played Gran Turismo, it gives you a line on the track that you're supposed to follow. He like uses that element in the same way they do in the game once in a while. They go to like a hovering camera that's right behind the car, just like the like third person view when you're playing a racing game. Yeah. And yeah. like angle, like there's just so much that's pretty cool. Like Sony PlayStation sound effects are thrown in there at the beginning and ends of races. Like it's so smart. It makes them be better. It's just it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Cool. Um, so I loved it. I thought my only knock it was length. It's like two hours and 15 minutes, and you probably could have shaved off some time, especially with the love interest piece that doesn't really go anywhere. But that's personal choice. I, I still think it was a fantastic movie. Highly recommend. Love that for us. Again, just like TMNT, way better than I expected. Because when you go into a Gran Turismo movie, you're like, what the hell is this going to be? And then I was blown away. All right. Well, this uh, this. Good vibes fucking party is about to come crashing down. Uh, our next movie, Meg 2, okay. The Trench. Uh, a research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. 
Bill, it looks like the streak is dead at nine. Should I go see it? No, no, Craig, you shouldn't. Uh, it's bad. It's bad, Craig. And it's, it's not a so bad it's good. It's just bad. Uh, the whole first three quarters of the movie is like a not scary, scary movie. There's very little humor. Whatever humor they try to have is forced and doesn't work. The story's dumb. It's excruciatingly long and slow. And I say that having slept through 20 minutes of it. It still felt literally <laughs> sleep. Literal sleep. <laughs> yeah. No, I missed a chunk of this movie. And it still <laughs> felt long and slow. Uh, the effects are like sci-fi channel level. Uh, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And I gave a no to the Meg one. Uh, but I figured, you know, big summer blockbuster. Maybe, maybe they figured it out. Maybe they'll lean into it. It'll be more fun this time. And boy, was I wrong because it's probably worse. So awful, Craig, uh, that I almost walked out, mm. which is an area of debate. Almost for me. walked out, meaning you were considering it out. seriously. Yes. Did not end up walking out. What was holding you back? So this is an area of debate for me because. Like I'm, I value my time. Life is life is short and fleeting. Precious. And I was like, I don't want, I don't care what happens. I don't want to see what happens. This is miserable. I, I want to go home. Uh, so I almost walked out. But the question is, can I, in good conscience, write a review and post a review for a movie that I have not seen all the way through? That, that's an issue for me because I want to get the review up. Uh, and I and the question is, is it being so bad that you would walk out? Is that not enough to merit the review? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, this feels like a question that you actually have the answer to. <laughs> Go on. It feels like you, you're asking this question, but you know that the answer is no. You cannot walk out. This is your this is this is this is the, what this is the BG difference. This is what sets you apart. This is the, from the <laughs> schmucks. This is the life I lead, the life I chose. Credits to credits. Yeah. Ashes to ashes. <laughs> dust to dust. You're in there, baby. You're going nowhere. I know. I mean, you can walk out of a movie all you want, but you just can't review it. I know. That's what I, that, that's what I think. And I think that that's what you think. It is. I know. It is. This <laughs> seems like less of a debate. I guess. But man, I wish I was, I wish I was more morally compromised. <laughs> Because I would have walked the hell out of there. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, that's that's obviously, uh, it still counts. Wanting to leave is is a worthwhile thing to feel and yeah. then, you know, write about, talk about after the fact. But, uh, yeah, I think you got to stick around. What if it redeems itself? You'll never know. I know. That's why I don't. Can you imagine the embarrassment of talking about this movie with a coworker or a friend? And they were like, yeah, but did you wait till the end and you have to say No. <laughs> That would, like, be bad. that would be bad. That's a reputation shattering moment. You cannot, that cannot happen. See, I thought that too. The Sigsy brand can't withstand a conversation like that. But then I saw later that it got a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, I probably could have walked out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, it was that, it, it was that movie. It was, we're having this discussion because that's how bad the movie is. And I want to get to that thousandth review, Craig, real bad. So I wasn't yeah. going to sacrifice a post. Man, what a great summer, though. Nine in a row. That's pretty good. That was good. Nine that yeses good. in a row. Do we know how if that's precedented uh, or, or what, what's the story there? Uh, a friend of the show, uh, Josh Drury, I think, texted me about this because he noticed the streak. A few different people actually texted me saying, wow, you're on quite a streak. And he went back and started scrolling through and he said the longest he saw up to that point was seven. So, Wow. Shout out to you, Josh. Uh, he didn't go all the way back because he got bored, he told me. But <laughs> so it's not not... That's the most scientific. Yeah, I did the same thing. I, I bet he lasted longer than me. But when we were talking about this last week, I was like, oh, this is a cool thing I'll do. And then I bailed very quickly. Yeah, not the most scientific, but... You don't have it in like a spreadsheet or something like that? We need the analytics. We need some SIGZ analytics. I, I should. I do have a tracker for movies per year, so I can watch my output there. But I don't have uh, huh. I don't have anything beyond that, really. All right. Well, we'll maybe, maybe if we're feeling real... Uh, Real itchy over the next couple of weeks. I tell you, we'll look that up. when when I hit the thousand, then there's going to be some time to reflect and pull some data. Probably, whoo! It's a lot of movies. It's a lot of scrolling. All right, well, uh, that rounds out the should I go see it section. Let's move on to some Netflix and Bill. What are we watching there, bud? Uh, nothing. Still nothing. 
Um, that's this is originally where I had the audiobook section because I was going to say I'm I'm listening to and reading books instead because there's just nothing on television. Um, yeah. One note though, across the Spider Verse, which we referenced already, is now on digital. So if you missed that, you could watch that now uh, digitally. Love it. Looking at the price right now. But I do not have any TV uh, to speak of. How about you? I'll tell you what, Bill. Uh, it's pre- it remains bleak, um, but I got one. I actually got one and a half. One that I've completed, uh, which is a show on Apple TV Plus called Hijack, Idris Elba. Idris Alba. Um, I hear good things. It's been re- referred to me or uh, recommended to me a few times. Yeah, it's so it's kind of rad. Uh, we ripped through it. It's only seven episodes, little under an hour each episode. We ripped through it in like a week. Um, it's called Hijack. You probably can guess like a lot of the beats of it, but like what it, it, there's two things I really like about it. One is, uh, it like moves like a freight train. It's almost real time. You know, obviously a plane gets hijacked. Duh. Um, that's not a spoiler. It's literally the title of the show. And it's like (laughs) an approximately seven hour flight. So there's seven episodes. They're all an hour, but it doesn't do it in like a cheesy, like 24 kind of way. Like it's, they just let that be what it is. And you kind of just intuit that it's like more or less a real time movie. There's no like cheesy countdown or like six hours to land and anything like that. It just like happens naturally. Good, good restraint show. Um, like that. Love that. It also is seven episodes. I feel like every show nowadays should be seven episodes and actually it's 10 episodes and you get a bunch of like unnecessary backstory for characters that you like don't absolutely need. All of a sudden there's some fucking time jump. You're like back in the seventies and it's someone's childhood and you're like, Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ. So they don't do any of that, which is also great. Um, And it does a good job of, there are some legit surprises in it, you you know, amongst the, uh, amongst the, the sort of typical plane hijack storyline that you can probably predict. Uh, and I thought it was great. It was really, really good. Let me ask you this. Uh, I don't know. This, I don't think it's spoilery, but more just a logistical question. Is the entire show in the plane or do they cut to ground crew, cut to fucking police, cut to FBI? It's like, both. okay. Yep. There's a lot, lot of, lot of stuff happening on the ground. A lot of stuff happening on the ground. Okay. I didn't know if it was like claustrophobic. You're on the plane the entire duration of the show or no okay. no 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 in fact the stuff on the ground is a big okay. part of okay it, just fact. checking all right yeah and the the premise and again i don't think this is a spoiler i think this is also like straight out of the description of the show on like the thing but idris's cal- character is not some sort of like badass like ex-military guy or anything he i mean he's obviously like jacked and awesome <laughs> but um his job in real life is he's like a corporate negotiator okay okay so he's like closing deals mega bazillion like he's the guy he's him so he's not special ops he's not fucking you know what i mean it's not like that kind of thing it's all like talking through it and like making deals with little deals with people and like building trust and like doing all this stuff it's very very interesting and overall just gotcha so not not a green beret with a haunted past Correct. Okay, Correct. In fact, he has no, he, as far as I can tell, no haunted past on this guy. Wow. Oh, a my bit God. Of a haunted present. Yeah. Uh, but I'll watch no, it. very, very good. Highly recommend. Uh, let it rip, I say. Okay. The other one is also an Apple TV Plus show, which is season two of their show that appears to be incredibly expensive and not very popular. Foundation. Yeah. Uh, on Apple TV Plus. I watched the first season. It was fine. I'm watching the second season now. It seems quite a bit less fine than the first one. But boy, does this show look like a million bucks and probably cost a million bucks every five minutes. So God bless. Um, but it's not very good. Yeah. They, the visual effects artist react show on YouTube, they had the visual supervisor effects supervisors for that show on it. And they broke down some of the season one effects and stuff. Yeah. It's cool. The effects are definitely top notch. It's wild looking, um, but it's just, I don't know. It's based on a book. So like it's what, whatever. Yeah. I'm not a huge sci-fi guy in the first place, so maybe it's just I'm just not the right audience for it. But I did enjoy the first season, so we'll see. I'll stick with okay. it. Okay. Okay. Nice. Um, all right. And what's on the uh, what's on the agenda for the weeks to come, Bill? What's on the docket? So as basically as soon as this wraps, uh, I am off to go see the Last Voyage of the Demeter. Ooh, spooky! Which is another R-rated horror movie. Um, 
hoping it's as good as Talk to Me, but it is based on a chapter from Dracula. Oh, uh, about about the Demeter, the ship that brings. How very Albanian of you to pronounce it that way. <laughs> I think you mean Transylvanian in this case, but yeah, uh, it's about the ship that brings Dracula over. I guess from place to place. It's apparently like one chapter that just like happens to mention that the ship ends up ashore with like nobody on it, and like it's supposed to be a spooky like th- like line in the book, and they've somehow extended that into a feature length motion picture. So we'll see what that's like. Love that. A um, lot of wiggle room there. I, yeah, I bought a ticket to see uh, Bruce Lee's seminal classic Enter the Dragon for its 50th anniversary. It's going to be back in theaters. Enter the Dragon movie I loved growing up, as I'm sure many did. Not to be confused with Cisco's seminal classic Unleash the Dragon, album on which the thong song was uh, heavily featured. No. Oh, good good pull. That's good what pull. I thought when I saw it in the notes. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Has it been? <laughs> feels like it's only been about 20 years, not 50. Uh, Enter the Dragon is a just a movie that causes you to fall in love with martial arts movies if it's if you hadn't yet. It was one of those movies. It was also the Bruce Lee's I think it was his, like his real breakout in America um, was partially because of this movie. So hoping uh, to see that in theaters again. So that'd be exciting. And then Old Boy, I mentioned last time, is also getting like remastered and re-released. So I plan on checking that out, even though I've seen it, but it's been many years. And then Strays, that stupid looking dog movie. I still have a ticket for that until I return that ticket. We'll see. That one's rated R though. So there is some hope for like actual comedy, I yeah, think. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. We'll see. But yeah, the trailers look fucking horrible. Yeah, looks bad. We'll see. That's it. I, it's we're already. I, I today I went into the coming soon section of the AMC app to see if there's any other tickets I could buy or like remind me when tickets go on sale for X Y Z. And it's just tumbleweeds rolling through that section of the app. It is winding down as we get out of summer blockbuster season and into there's another like dead zone here between September October. Then we get into November December, which is the real prestige movies uh, and Oscar movies. And then we hit another dead zone for January February. So. We'll see. September is always tough. October, you at least start to get Saw and horror movies and like mm-hmm. some interesting things there. But yeah, it's it's going to be a tough couple months. We'll see. All right. Well, that's it. I hope we uh, hope we delivered. Hope so. Thank <laughs> you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. <laughs>